What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I stole that from Crystal. She was so close, but I came in with the quick gun. But I was going to say, welcome back to another episode of Get the Cash Flow Game with K and K, or Crystal and Ken. Who do we have on today, Crystal? I know Crystal is really excited about this guest. And then it's really, really cool because, guys, when you do a podcast, sometimes we know a little bit about somebody and then we get them on and then you say, tell me a little about your yourself and your story and all of a sudden you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth and then they tell you some story and you're sitting there like wow that was a very cool inspiring story and sterling is a guy that really left us inspired and fired us up yeah sterling uh was just had a really great story honestly he came from a really uh tough upbringing and um you know decided to choose a different path uh, and he's really kind of become this, like, you know, I think he's kind of like the poster child, honestly, in a lot of ways for like the living the American dream is kind of creating these opportunities for yourself and surrounding yourself with really great people. So, um, he is a regular contributor on bigger pockets. Uh, it's from what he said, and I can only imagine that it's been like a very good launch pad for him as far as investments and raising capital for investments he is syndicating he wrote a book um he does coach people very selectively about the book is zero to 400 units yes so it's a really good pie book if you're it's like just getting started you know it's like right in that bucket he started with like residential flipping and then has decided to go into multifamily. And honestly, he's just a really smart guy. He is also uh, just a really good guy. Like he's one of those people you talk to, you could feel like the genuine goodness um, about him. And I feel like he has a very good outlook on things. Um, he also tell, told us about uh, something I thought was kind of cool that we asked about at the end uh, was his world record attempt. He he attempted to yeah, uh, this world record. Yeah, yeah, you have to wait. You have to listen yeah. to it. So. so. It's a, it's uh, kind of a crazy, I, I actually never really heard of that, but it's like, wow, it seems like gnarly. So you have to listen to it. We're not going to give it away, but you definitely want to know because it's like, wow, who would even want to do that <laughs> or train, you know? But the other thing is, it's like, honestly, Sterling, um, right from when you, like Crystal said, right from when you meet him and know, like get to like know him, he's just a super like humble, amazing dude. And I think he's had a tough upbringing, like Crystal said, but really what he is, is about like, um, I think he's a light, you know, he's a light in areas where there's not a light. So I can't relate to his story. Crystal could relate to his story, but there's somebody that's listening or you might know somebody that, you know, if they're struggling or maybe they grew up tough or in a tough neighborhood, they can't get out of it and they think there's no hope or, you know, they can't get ahead. This is an individual that basically said like, my surroundings do not have to, like basically they don't have to make me. And he just really said, I said, what was the difference for you? How did you get out of that? And he said, I changed my friends and I changed my surroundings. So I think it's just, even though we're talking about real estate, it, it always comes back to like, we all, that's what I always say is when you start real estate, it's really a mindset thing. And what I realized for him is once again, is clearly for him, it was a mindset to get out of that and into this. And the other thing is cool before he got into multifamily, he had 152 homes, he was managing them. He was like, this is crazy, what am I doing? And so some of you that might be in homes that want to get a multifamily, he just says, it's hard to scale, how to grow. So we kind of go through that uh, journey with him. But anyways, super cool guy, 
super humbling and amazing story. And I kind of left this podcast feeling like super inspired. And Crystal, I know you were kind of saying we were talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things too that he kind of kept coming back to um, was about not only, I think, because of his upbringing and the challenges that he faced and how he got out of that was that he always wants to be challenging himself in different ways, hence the reason why he tried to break the Guinness Book of World Records. And, you know, he's always challenging himself to do something, uh, you know, new or different or hard, um, all of the above. So I thought, I thought that was a really cool, like, nugget to take away. Like moving um, to, living at, I think, was it, they live in Philadelphia or Indianapolis for 30 years. He literally, right when we talked to him, he's like, I just moved to Texas Houston. for, or Houston for, uh, 30 days ago, why? He's like, I just wanted to change. That was that whole challenge. I think he wanted to put himself in a new environment, different people, and do that. So, you know. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. So, anyways, you guys are going to love Sterling. Listen in. Sterling, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, we got to do a little bit of research on you, and you've done a lot of really cool, exciting things that we want to talk to you about today. But I think one of the biggest things uh, that people will recognize is bigger pockets. So, um, can you let us know a little bit about what exactly it is that you do with bigger pockets and then go a little bit deeper into your background of everything else that, that you're working on? Yeah. So what I do with, uh, bigger pockets is just contribute content, whether that's blogs, whether that's live streams, whether that is ongoing YouTube material, uh, and through that have gotten so much, so much exposure of one being able to give back to others who were where I was. Uh, and then also investors, and that's also been able to lead to other opportunities. So that all started in 2013, 2014, and started with the blogs. And in about two, two and a half years, did about 200 or so. So I just decided just to really just ramp that up because it's so noisy in the marketplace. I mean, I mean, you're not only competing with other investors with putting your messaging out there, you're competing with the pandemic. Oh, uh, what is it? Uh, Frozen. That's just some random movie that just came to mind. <laughs> All these different things that you're competing with. So that's what I just decided to just maximize that and push out the content. It's, they've honestly built such a strong community too. It's like a really great place to put your content because I feel like it's all like-minded individuals who either want to be where you're at, want to be, you know, surpass where you're at, who want to just get started. You know, there's like every range of person, but I think the, the one thing they have in common is that they, they believe in investing in residential rentals, whether that's, you know, one to fours or, you know, multifamily. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to go real estate. And that's one of the things I learned early on was the utmost wealthy and uh, success successful had some form of real estate in their holdings. hundred percent. Yeah. I've, uh, we've been both been doing financing for 17 years um, and I do multifamily financing and, uh, I learned uh, very quickly reviewing people's tax returns where the majority of their wealth was coming from. And I was also like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. How come you're not paying taxes? And I'm paying like, you know, six figures. I make a fraction of what you make. I need to figure out what, what's going on here. <laughs> um, so you wrote a book called Zero to 400 Units. Is that kind of, uh, what kind of spurred you to write that book? And, and where are you today? I would imagine you have more than 400 units. So I actually just sold one of my apartments. This was yesterday or two days ago. I've lost track of time. I don't know what day it is uh, anymore. But uh, at this point, it's still under that 400 because I've sold several apartments that we have. And acquiring in today's market is, as you guys are aware, is very difficult. Still abundance of opportunity. But what premised me to write that book is 
one of my ideals and like wh why I believe I'm on this earth is, I mean, just a little bit about my background is I grew up in Section 8 housing, welfare, food stamps, single mother, and there was only, uh, well, and also fraternal twin brother. And I remember there was one point in time, we were six years old, we're in the kitchen uh, eating, both my brother and I sitting at the table. And, and then as soon as we go upstairs, a bullet comes right through the back patio where we were sitting. So I may not be here, he may not be here. And then every other day we had to get down on the ground because it sounded like fireworks were going on outside, but it was actually gunshots. So luckily I ended up getting out of that environment. My brother took the what you would say be another statistic of that environment. Uh, and I took a different path. And I want to show people who can't, who are where they at where I was, is there's another path. And then I got started in real estate 2009 uh, as a laborer. And then shortly after that, started buying single families, got up to 150, and then started buying multifamily and scaled to just over 500 units. That's amazing. Wow. Congrats on that. That's huge. Um, I was going to ask you just to go back to where you're talking about, because um, that, I mean, that is the key. I mean, I think people are stuck in life. They're stuck in a job they hate. They're stuck somewhere, right? Like, and it's like, how do I pivot out of here? How do I change my life? And I know before we got going here, you just mentioned you moved to uh, Texas, you know, it's a big change, but how, when you look back on your life now and you can look forward was there a person or what was the pivotal change to get like, it's obviously I feel like it's always a mindset thing, right? Like what was the change and how did you make that change to like end up in a place like this? So one very, I've had multiple pivotal moments, but there was this one that really stood out in my early twenties. I was at a, a college party doing what college kids doing, having a good time. And I ended up drifting away uh, from the, the crowd and I'm out in the middle of this boat or canoe, whatever the, the difference between a boat and canoe is. And there's this <laughs> question that comes down to me and says, Sterling, is this what you want to do with your life? And up until that point, I was drifting into average land. I was going to college on a human biology degree, had no clue what I was going to do with that. And just really just not knowing where I wanted to, to go. I'm still figuring things out uh, to this day too, though, but is that I answered back to that question. No, this is not. And I did three key things that really changed the trajectory of my life. One is I completely changed my surrounding cast of the people who were around me, great people, but they were not going where I wanted to go. The second was I cut out the news. Still to this day, I do not watch the news. Only time I watch it is when, yes, when I'm at the gym and it happens to be on the TV and I still even look away from there. And then the third was I focused on mindset. Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn's Zig Ziglar's and really just started putting that influence in my mind to rewire a lot of my thinking because I had so many limiting beliefs of save, save, save money. Uh, there's that versus investing. Uh, and then also rich and wealthy people, in order for them to get there, they had to do unethical things. So all these different things I had to just rewire my thinking. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's a cool story. It's pretty cool about the news thing. I don't think uh, we don't watch the news. I haven't watched it. I can't remember how long. So I tell people several I get, years. I think we I mean, cut cable, it's, it's, but yeah. not news. It's been a long yeah. time, but yeah. I tell people um, it's it's amazing that if you just turn off the news and the TV and go, there's YouTube, there's podcasts, there's so much great content. Like you know, like you said, we're competing. There's great content. It's unbelievable that people still turn the damn news on and get sucked into that, and they wonder why in ten years they're in the same position. So it's been, I was wondering when you went through, I was like shocked. Not shocked you said news, but I thought it'd be something else, but it just shows you like 
you literally at a young age can just be influenced by this crap every day. It's crazy. Yeah, and it'll just drain you. And then you have the flip side. Everyone says, how do you stay informed of what's out there? I say, if something is important enough, you will be aware about it. I still have my mom every now and then tell me about the weather here in Houston. And she's in Indianapolis. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, thanks for that. It's, it's, it's always our parents that still watch the news. My mom does too. I'm like, what What are you missing out on? It's like, you know, that's terrible. You know, the shooting that happened last night or the weather or that new exercise thing. Or it's, it's always like something completely pointless on the news. But our parents do the same. It's, 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 a, it's a generational thing. I mean, you know, it's just uh, how we consume data is completely different. And we realize like, if I want to learn about that topic, I can literally just go YouTube an expert and get data rather than listening to somebody, you know, reading off a monitor. But um, cool story. That's um, that's amazing. So how so what like what was the big shift though? Like how did you end up in multifamily? Like of all things, I'm always fascinated with people. I go, how did you end up here writing a book? I mean, you did 200 blogs. I can't even write one blog because. I would, it would be like, this is grammatically incorrect, so you might as well just do something else. But how does somebody go from that environment to like this? And, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, so having 150 single families, that in itself, wow. and self-managing all those, that was wow. when the light bulb that went off that said, this is a, for lack of a, a nightmare, is very, <laughs> very labor-intensive, uh, and to each his own with, uh, I mean, both have its uh, pros and cons with single family and multifamily, but is that we we were acquiring that many. So we had a whole infrastructure for that, had to look at all these deals uh, because those 150 single families were not like a package of 20 here, a package of 50 here. It was like one deal here, two or three deal, deals. And then we just decided, okay, what model is even more scalable? And then that's when we started on the path to multifamily. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I was always told this to Crystal, uh, Dean Graciosi, if you ever heard of him. Um, he was like, interviewed by Grant, and he had, I think, he bought, like a lot of people, when the crash came, single families was just something that a lot of people went to. There, I think he bought 2,500 homes, and he was just telling Grant, like, what a nightmare to manage. He goes, what the biggest nightmare was is I got to sell them all somehow. And then I got to package them at the same time in 1031 in apartment buildings. He's like, my gosh, what a nightmare that was. So that was my question for you is, did you guys sell them? Did you 1031 exchange? How'd you guys wind down that portfolio? So ended up just having to sell them in, in packages. And then also one of the things that I did is uh, both my partner and I is that he was able to, in essence, keep along, I think it was about 80, 75 ish. Uh, so I was able to just keep the remaining apartments that we had with one, I started a new company. So he kept those single families and that was a way for me to one shift out of those two. Nice. And when did you guys start acquiring that portfolio? Uh, that was in 2014 was when, so now those deals that we were getting, and this was in Indianapolis, so we could get a house for $25,000, $30,000. And those of you wow. in California, San Diego, yes. You probably couldn't even get a piece of a piece of a piece of a land for that much. Can't even build a bathroom for that much here. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And so, and these were in solid C neighborhoods, blue collar, but uh, we would be able to buy something for 25,000, put 25 into it and then rent it for 800, 850. Now wow. trying to do that, you could even get that in 
neighborhoods that some people would classify as like war zones and just the environments I grew up in. You couldn't even get that. So the type of multifamily now that you own, is it kind of workforce housing? Is that what you're into? So okay. built 1970s to 1980s, uh, where the rents could be anywhere from for a one to two bedroom, 700 to about $900. We'll go in. Uh, so the most recent project was 156 units where we're putting $2 million into that to increase the rents on average by about $116. What's the, um, what's the biggest lesson you learned from uh, managing all those uh, 150 doors? Uh, the biggest lesson is I am not a manager. <laughs> it's not just the, the single families in it itself. It's the managing of people. For some reason, I thought that I, I saw people that were like mentors to me that influence that were very influential to me. And they talked about because there's a difference between a manager and a leader. But I always wanted to take the path of being the, or I had the mindset of managing people. And I just that's just not my skill set. So that was one of the first things that just finding someone to complement that weakness, plug them into that and just focus more in on my innate abilities. Yeah, that's really smart. I feel like um, I've never want we used to own a management company. So we managed about a 1000 units at, at one time. And uh, then we sold it. And I realized that it was a super good learning experience, like so many things that help us today. And I'm sure you learned that but I would never ever do it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, like, likewise, I would do it because it got me to where I am today. But still, if I could avoid that to still get to where I am today, I would do that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it just never stops. It literally, like, that's what I tell people. It's 24-7, just when you think, like, you get a break. I mean, you're, and you're, in, uh, you're dealing with probably crazier weather conditions, I'm guessing, because you have snow and things like that. Yeah, and one of the, well, this was on the, the first day on the multifamily side, is we had one of the worst winters. Uh, and as we acquired that, it put us behind schedule on the renovations. And then that was the, the first multifamily deal. So we were hiring. So yeah, it was even more moving parts. And that's why I have the, the limited hair on my head from the property <laughs> management side of things. It looks good though, don't worry about it. You look good. Yes. Um, so I want to talk to you about, so transitioning from homes to buying uh, multifamily, did you, when you're buying the homes, did you already have investors or were you, is it your money? And then what was the switch starting to syndicate? Like when did you start syndicating or raising money? So how it started was with friends and family. So we would go out and have friends and families cash. We would buy the, the single families and we would take those and put them into portfolios of 10 and myself through the, the bigger pockets being on podcasts such as this. So I was the, the lead magnet for the funnel, for lack of a better word. So the, the funnel to bring people on to sign up to our website. So we were buying the single families. And then once we had those renovated, then we would cash our original investors out, our friends and family, go do it over again. And then we would bring those other investors in and they would get a return uh, from the cash flow. And when we sell the property, they would get a split from that as well. And then when we transitioned to multifamily is many of those investors came along with us. I'm trying to think the percentage, but some didn't because they wanted to stay in single family. So I myself had to start changing my messaging and marketing out there to shift from single family to more multifamily. That's cool. So um, yesterday we uh, interviewed this 
guy Travis and he helps people coach, uh, if you want to start a podcast, you know, and so we have a podcast and, you know, a couple of things you mentioned that you're on bigger pockets and you write blogs, but you're out there putting content out there. Um, I was going to ask you, how much has that really helped your business as far as awareness and raising money? And do you think, obviously, I feel like now, you know, cash isn't king, finding the deal is king because there's plenty of cash out there. But do you feel like because you're doing all this, maybe when the environment loosens up and there's a lot more deal flow, that you'd have more more opportunity to raise more capital and buy bigger deals in the near future? Yeah, I would say it's a, a twofold. And this is a, a prime example is that we go direct to owner to all those, all of our deals on the multifamily side have been direct to owner, nothing uh, on marketing through brokers. And so with that is when I'm communicating with an owner, I have someone on our team, multiple people set the appointment for me. And one of the first things they say is I actually researched you and there, I saw some pretty cool things that you're, you're actually doing and you're, you're putting, so is one, their owners are, or people aren't even Google searching the company I have. They're actually Google searching me first, then they do that secondary. So that's what I would say is it's important to put yourself out there. Uh, of course, it's a double-edged sword uh, oftentimes with, with that, but I see more benefits and that just puts you over the, the competition that doesn't do it. Yeah, I agree. I think also too, because um, I'm sure you have this all the time because we, we get this too, where you'll have people that watch you reach out to you and they're talking to you like they've known you forever and they feel like they've known you forever because they've seen your videos. They kind of know your personality. They know what you believe in. They know, you know, kind of how you are already. So it really helps with that familiarity. And I think if people were questioning it, it gets them over that hump. They're like, all right, I'm all in with Sterling. Yeah. And I had someone last week that I met with and he was finishing my sentences. So that goes (laughs) to show you how much, and they had listened through all of my content. They said, like, it's really cool to, to be sitting across from you. And then I would tell a part of my story. He, and it would just fit. It was, it was a little surreal and funny and weird at the, all at the same time. But I was very appreciated. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned that you were buying deals. Just basically, you guys are going direct to owners, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. That's- What's, if you could talk a little about that, how, what's your philosophy behind that and how do you guys approach that? Um, so it is one beating the broker to the punch. You would, you would say from that because everything on market wants to the market, all the, the, the competition. So one of our first channels that we use is just picking up the phone. Uh, and uh, from there is, well, when first started, so the very first deal that acquired it was 46 units. If you pick the near south side of Indianapolis, I drove in my 2001 Honda Accord at that time, loved Hondas, and I, I found this property that needed work. It looked like the parking lot looked like an alligator's back, uh, and from there, skip trades to find, to find who owned that property within the LLC, got who filed the LLC, and then simply just picked up the phone. So that has always been our primary uh, channel, and then we'll use different ways to follow up if we don't get in, in touch with them via call. That's smart. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you can go straight to the owner, my gosh, because it saves them because you're probably not, there's no broker commission. There's nothing that stuff like that. Right. So you're saving a lot of money there and you can just work the deal without having any outside influence of eight seller, buyer agents, other competition. But it does take time and process and a lot of rejection that most people are not willing to, to go through. Uh, 
but I mean, it's, I say it's worth it, but some people just rather take the path and just tap it to someone who is actually already doing that. You may pay a little bit more, but you do save time in that. Nice. What, um, what advice, I'm sure you're getting a lot of these questions because the position you're in is what advice are you telling somebody where they come to you and say, hey, Sterling, I want to buy my first primary residence. You think it's a good time? Or, hey, I want to buy my first investment property. Or I'm thinking about giving money to you or another syndicator or fund. What, 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 what's that conversation look like with friends or anybody? I'd say, I mean, I mean, once we do have a, a deal available, more than happy to, to have you on board. But so two, twofold in that question is, is it more advice for someone who's looking to get started into the industry and then the pitch to investors? No. So I guess the question is, if somebody wants, is looking to buy their first deal, so let's say they want to buy a house, they want to buy investment property, they put money in the market, they're like, is this a good time to do any of those? What Got it. are you kind of giving those people? Yeah, I would say from from that sense is, yes, it is the the right time. However, you still have to stick to the fundamentals. Uh, So I believe every cycle is, I mean, there is an opportunity. Now you just have to dig even more deeper. But as long as you stick stick to buying right, so not overpaying for the property. Uh, Second is buying in good to great locations. And thirdly is financing right then in that case, you'll, you'll be fine. Cause one of the common things I saw during the, uh, cause I'm a firm believer. Yes. It's good to learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better to learn from others. And one of those big, big mistakes was people was over leveraging their properties. So that's what I would say uh, to people who are looking to just get started, just stick to the fin- fundamentals. And then if you can find someone who is where you are, uh, that you can tag along with them or offer some type of uh, value, uh, get insights, maybe read their books, go through their content. That'll be another uh, way for you to protect your downside. Now you do you do coaching and consulting for people who are trying to grow a portfolio or you know just trying to get into real estate investing. Is, is that right? Yes, I do uh, coaching. However, my primary focus is on the operation side, but I have rolled that out just due to people asking. Correct. What is that kind of like, what's that specific thing that you're teaching? Is there, because there's so many methods, you know, to investing. I mean, there's syndicating, there's being a direct investor, there's doing single family, multifamily. There's so many different ways to get to where you want to be. What kind of method are you teaching when you take on a coaching client? Mine is more so just finding deals. Because what I've seen most uh, do out there, and especially when it comes to mid-sized to uh, larger uh, multifamily, they say, go through brokers, go through brokers, go through brokers. And I've taken a more untraditional approach. And this is when I've been at conferences. I've been the only one that says all of our deals have been off market. And everyone says, well, you want to go, I've gotten mine through broker. But usually those people are way more experienced. They've been able to build that track record with those brokers to now to be able to get those deals. I didn't have that benefit. So that's when we started, we were going through brokers. It wasn't working. So we said, well, we can wait on the sidelines or we could just take more control in our own hands and just go direct. I love that. I agree with you. That's, uh, I would say that probably the majority of people aren't willing to do that work. So when you're coaching uh, people, are you, you're helping them find deals, but are you actually allowing them to use your team through the cold calling and all the things that you're doing, skip tracing, uh, to help them get their first deal? 
yes, they do have our team to help them along that, but it's more so as we provide them the resources. Uh, that way it's more of, hey, uh, what is it? Feed a, give someone, fi- what is it? Give them fish and then teach them how to fish. And then yeah. they'll be, you, you get that analogy. Then Yes. So it's more so it's, it's a two prong approach where they're able to tap into our team uh, but in addition to that is we provide the resources in-house and also the systems and processes to be able to build it out themselves. That's huge because I think people need to know, um, you know, how to locate owners. But then once you get somebody on the phone, what the heck do you even say? <laughs> so, and, and then like you said, following up, because I'm sure, I mean, I think the one thing that I tell people with brokers when they don't want to pay brokers is that, um, they spend, like, sometimes we know brokers that are talking to somebody for 10 or 15 years before they finally decide to sell their property with them. Like, they're really putting in that work, and it, it looks easy now because they got the deal or, or whatever, but that's actually a, it's a long game, you know? It's a lot of dialing for dollars, and so uh, it's not an easy task at all. And I really want to shine in on that, uh, Crystal, what you just said, because many people do not hear that, especially due to the environment we're in with the social media age, and everyone just sees the highlights is, that's exactly is it's a long-term play and there's owners now I've been following up for three and a half, four years, and you have to be creative in your follow-up process. One, many people don't make the call. Second, too many people give up too soon. And then third is they don't have a creative follow-up and their follow-up is, Hey, I know I called you last week, but now you're interested in selling your property. Uh, and then they follow up. Now you're interested in that. So how can you be creative in your follow-up? is a way to stop, uh, stay top of mind. That's cool. Yeah, I was at a mastermind, and you'll find this funny. And there was a guy there that, uh, it's like a real estate mastermind, he's looking to invest, and um, he owns like an HVAC company. So his customers are just bigger companies. And so, and he was talking about, I, I just approached him directly, and he's like, how do I get in touch with them more? And he was like, you know, I have to be very creative because I got to get in front of them. So he's like, at first, I'll call him and this, and I send a letter, and he goes, and then all of a sudden, I'll send him a shoe, and we're like, a shoe? He's like, yeah, like, I'm trying to get one foot in the door, like, he does all these creative things, he goes, but I'm telling you guys, when you do that, and nobody does that, they remember who I am, I'm making a statement, so he went down this list of all these things he does, and he does it, and he's like, look, I've got this client and that client, he goes, they just called me, he said, the fact that you sent that means you're passionate and they gave me the chance to present and I knew if I could present we'd make a deal so I I think people under like you know real estate is more of a long game you know this isn't a get get rich it's like Grant Cardone says you like them or not it's not a get rich quick it's a get rich for sure so it's a long play but I think people like you said they call somebody they're not going to sell it's like but that person in seven months or seven years might have something change in their life and you know why people sell buildings I mean we know it's it's, it's like separation of partnership, it's death, death, it's divorce, it's maybe I need to exchange out this building and move the money, but you never know when that's going to happen. We don't know when somebody's going to die or this, so you being in front of them and they remembering you, oh my gosh, I've got to call the guy Sterling, I liked him, he seemed he'd get this done, let's give him a shot. Yeah, and uh, Grant Cardone was an influence for me with implementing this sales, because even when you're buying, you're selling. And one of the things that was a highlight uh, segue is I had him on my podcast, The Real Estate Experience, and he was three feet across from me and interviewing uh, him from that. So that was a a great experience to have someone who was very influential for me. And just to talk 
uh, real estate. But I just tell everyone from that is that one, the follow-up is by far the greatest uh, sales secret that I've learned. And that is all sales, not even just in business, but I've got a uh, eight-year-old daughter. That's where all my hair went uh, as soon as uh, she was born, uh, is that I have to either she's, she sells me on, okay, dad, I want to stay, stay up or I have to sell her, sell her that, Hey, you have to go to bed at a reasonable time. And the other day she, she sold me on saying, I was like, all right, you win. So sell her be, be sold. I love that. That's cool. No, I, I, uh, I really, we interviewed Grant, but I enjoyed him. Um, I know a lot of people don't like him, but I think, uh, I think it's like you either love him or hate him. But I think he's, he's all right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I think he's got a lot of great things. I mean, he was even when he told us is, uh, you know, we kind of like go raise money, go buy big deals, but he was like, use social media. And we asked him like, does social media hurt you? And he goes, look, I've had one guy. The seller found out it was me. He's like, we're not selling to that guy. He's all does that stupid social media. I will not sell to him. He goes, but look, he's raised 500 plus million through social. He's done a lot of charity. He's bought a lot of deals. And like you said, people go, oh, Grant, now they know him, like everybody, but they can look him up. So I just think anything you have, and that's where it goes back to, I think, building your brand and stuff, people don't realize. You could be calling somebody to hang up. They go, that guy seemed nice and cool. I'm going to go look him up. Somebody looks you up and goes, oh, wow, he's a professional. He's in this, that. So I am dealing with, I like who I'm dealing with. I can, they can watch five videos on you. I like him more and call you back. So that's another tactic that people are just not even taking an advantage of, you know? Yeah. And why and they, they would they call, they you call you back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people get, I mean, if you have a lot of content, like, you know, Chris and I say, people will get to know who your personality is. Whether they like you or don't like you, it doesn't matter. If they like you, if they don't like you, they're going to know. I mean, if they don't, if they like you, you have a chance. If they don't like you, well, you'll probably never hear from them again anyway. But they'll right? probably tell people about you and that they don't like you. Yeah. They'll get more people, you yeah, know? So. Yeah. Attention's attention. Yeah. Um, so what what is your um, what is your number? I mean, look, somebody that's watching this, I mean, you get this question all the time. Somebody's watching this. And they want to get into real estate investing. They're not sure what path. Like Crystal said, there's wholesaling, there's flipping, there's single family, there's multifamily. Um, I always feel like it's so it is overwhelming. You know, there's so much information and data. There's this coach, there's that guru, there's this book, that book, this podcast. How do you simplify it for somebody and say, look, this is where you need to start? Yeah, I would say for myself personally, is I, I'm trying to think. Well, I found a mentor. That was the first thing that really was a, a, a game changer uh, for me where I and it all serendipity uh, happened that they just were they were at my CrossFit gym that I was working out at uh, training for a Guinness World Record. That's another topic in itself, but wow. uh, is I formed a relationship with them and we were working out together maybe four, six or eight, four, four to six months. And it was just building a relationship, never anticipated them being my mentor. And just one day I overheard them just talking about uh, doing real estate and doing a, a construction bid on that uh, CrossFit gym to, to build out some because they were expanding. And I just asked them one day, hey, uh, let's go out to Subway because I, I was uh, on, a, on, on a budget and had no clue I was going to pay for it. But then I sat down with them and said, how can I be of value to you and your business? Here's the kicker. You don't have to pay me anything. So that's how I got my foot in the door. And then it came time I was working in their property management company that he was looking to diversify, interesting enough, from multifamily to single family. He had the cash but didn't have the time. 
I had the time but didn't have the cash. And then that was the value exchange. I brought in the deal. And then I got thrown into the fire to go figure everything else out. That's awesome. That's a cool story. Um, I know you have a hard stop at uh, 1240. So I have to ask you, since you mentioned it, with the uh, world record, what, what's up with that? That seems interesting. So I know I just breezed right over that. So it was the the Guinness World Record for the world's fastest fireman carry mile. No, I'm not a fireman for anyone who's a winner, but it was one of those things that I read the book for our work week. I'm always doing things to stretch me out of my comfort zone. Same thing with moving from Indianapolis to Houston, always yeah. doing these things to just stretch outside of that. And yeah. that was one of the things I picked. Uh, and it was a year and a half of training for it. I, my back went out when I was doing training, I still ended up overcoming that right the day before the event, uh, the person I was, I had, cause the fireman carry is you're carrying someone in a fireman's position and they have to be your weight or, or equivalent to your weight or heavier. They can't be lighter. And then you run around the track for a mile and I had to be wow. 11 and a half minutes. Yeah. So it was no joke. Yeah. <laughs> And so the day of the attempt, uh, it comes and then everything's official. There's official collegiate uh, track coach there. There's people filming me hopping on the scale uh, and the, the gun goes off. And so as soon as I only made it halfway, I dropped the person. And then as soon as their feet hits the ground, the attempt is over. But here's what happened, Crystal, is that that was a huge light bulb that went off for me because I realized that failure is not so bad. Uh, because that was a limiting belief that I had. There was all these people that came out all pressed and I bombed it. And I said, this is so bad. And then that's where another unlock happened for me. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, and the thing is, is most of us never even try. So, you know, that's huge in and of itself. Yeah, it was yeah. brutal. <laughs> so we have one question we always ask every guest, but before we uh, ask that, where can people find you to learn more about you? Yeah, so you can find me at sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Uh, and my Instagram handle is sterlingwhiteofficial. One more time, that is sterlingwhiteofficial. And yeah, any questions uh, anyone happens to have or just feedback, go ahead and slide into the DM is what I like to say. <laughs> and that's direct message, just in case. People don't know. I love it. So our question we always ask everybody is, what is your definition of generational wealth? I'd say general wealth, uh, generational uh, wealth is just being able to have the ability for myself to pass along wealth to where the, the people that come after me don't have to worry about money. So that that's what I would say from a general wealth, like the the Rockefellers and the, the gosh, what is it? The, the Walton family. That's what I would consider generational wealth. Awesome. Well, Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Sterling. I feel like your story is so inspiring for so many people because um, I think we all look at our stories and um, sometimes we can be victim of it or we can learn from it. And I think we all have our struggles in life and when you're in it, it feels like it's impossible to overcome, but you're like that kind of story, the success story of how you overcame uh, you know, your surroundings and your upbringing and are bringing up the people in your life as well. So I'm really inspired by your story and I love what you're doing. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that what's the alternative. That's how I look at it is that, yeah, growing up, I was dealt limits being section eight housing, all, all those things I mentioned at the beginning, but 
it's one of those, now what? What are you going to do with that? And I decided to make lemonade out of that. I ensured that it was sugar-free uh, lemonade. Uh, but yeah, just decided to take those lemons and make them into lemonade. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for the time. Uh, great story. Keep doing what you're doing, inspiring people, you know, pushing people. It's awesome. We really appreciate the time. I'm glad we got to meet and uh, learn more about you. For sure. And I appreciate you guys having me on. And yeah, I saw, saw what you guys have going on. So keep crushing it on your side as well. Awesome. Thanks for having me today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.